This is the Biz of Wealth. Challenges, rumblings, and evolution of the wealth management industry. Welcome to the Business of Wealth. Today I'm here with Hilario Itriago, who is a very experienced insurance professional that has specialized in InsurTech, which is very interesting to me. And I want to dig deep into this trend. Um, I've been involved in fintech, not that much in InsurTech, and I would love to hear more about it. Welcome, Hilario. Thank you, Alejandra. Pleasure to be with you. So first of all, I'd like to ask, you know, what got you here uh, and what's here? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, so I, you know, I'm Venezuelan by origin um, and um, I actually started my career in the Venezuelan oil industry, like any good Venezuelan would have hoped for <laughs> back in the 90s or, or previous to the 90s. And, uh, and so my, my dream was really working there, um, having a career there. Um, and, and but then you know serendipity hit in, and uh, uh, an insurance company, a British insurance company um, that used to be based in Venezuela, recruited me, um, and uh, I joined them in 2000. And uh, I started an international career in insurance. Uh, first as a graduate trainee program uh, in Latin America. Then I went to London, uh, worked in the London market, which is you know the mecca of insurance worldwide. Uh, learned my ropes there, um, and then worked in many other places, um, you know, the Baltic region, um, here in Latin America, lived in Chile, etc. And so, you know, I learned um, insurance as a traditional insurance business, as many people know it from the outside, uh, and many people know it better from the inside. But in the process, um, Late in um, 2016, the whole fintech movement created a derivative of insurance, which we call InsurTech. And I thought, you know, there's something interesting here. Uh, I went to the original first large conference on InsurTech ever made in uh, Las Vegas here in the U.S. And I realized that half of the room, you know, this is 2,000 people, right? Um, half of the room is talking about InsurTech. The other half of the room doesn't know how to spell it. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? There's got to be something here. Um, so let's let's find out. And so I, since 2016, have got myself into this space where InsurTech is something that I've learned from inception. I've coupled it with my experience on traditional insurance. And here I am. You know, I'm I'm one of those that believe in the digital distribution of insurance, which is really what InsurTech is all about. Um, and I believe that the more people get insurance, the better their future and their lives is, um, because it protects wealth and it creates you know growth and many other things that I'm sure we're going to talk about. But here is to your question. Um, I'm very involved in InsurTech. I apply digital uh, insurance distribution on everything I do on traditional insurance, and uh, I'm a big fan of it. Good. So you've lived all over the world, mm. you've evolved your career, and there's always one single lesson, like one piece of advice that one like that one has in the back of their mind. What what has stayed with you over the years? Yeah, I'm, I'm missing Asia though. I haven't been in Asia. I haven't worked and lived in Asia. But you know, I I, I never I never give up hope. Um, but yeah. um, 
I think that, you know, professionally, um, the single best advice I actually got um, in while living in the UK was your network is your biggest asset. You know, the fact that you can live, you know, pick up the phone, fire an email these days, you know, send a WhatsApp message or whatever. Uh, the fact that you have a network, a strong network you can connect to for whatever reason, you know, advice, support, help, you know, um, it's it's really and truly your biggest asset. Um, now, to cultivate that network, you have to be a good person. You know, you you, you don't create a, a, a strong network um, by just being a bad person. Um, so you, you kind of over the years learned that you have to curate your contacts, you have to curate your relationships. And, and therefore, that's how your network becomes your biggest asset. I think personally, um, probably the, the best thing I've learned from my from my parents and uh, in general is you never really give up. Um, if you if you're really operating under conviction, there's no reason why you should give up. Um, and so, if you pair the two, um, you would always have a chance, in my opinion, because by not giving up and also having the resource or the resource of, of, um, of reaching out to your network for support and help, then you should be okay throughout your career. So when you talk about network, like I, I, the traditional notion of an insurance salesperson or an insurance guy is very much like the greatest salesperson out there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I feel like, Financial advisors, which a lot of them hear this podcast and CEOs have a ton to learn from them. And there is this notion that sometimes it's too much. Like sometimes the insurance salesperson is a little too pushy for the taste of a financial advisor. A financial advisor will keep their network tight and not that wide. And an insurance guy will go out and really like push it everywhere that they can. So what can they learn from you guys without feeling that, like, I don't want to be rude, but it sometimes is financial advisors feel like they are cheapening their product when they mm -hmm. go too wide, right? Mm -hmm. They feel like it's not um, that exclusive. So What would you say they have to learn from from insurance, the the financial services guys? Well, I, I, th I think there's two things, right? And this goes back to the difference between banking and insurance. Um, all of us wake up in the morning concerned about our money, our savings, our wealth. You know, how do we keep it growing? Do I have enough money for my kids' colleges? All that. Nobody wakes up thinking, "Oh my God, have I bought have I bought the right car insurance policy? You know, am I underinsured?" You know, what happens if, you know, there's water in my kitchen this morning and all oh, my insurance doesn't cover it? That really doesn't happen. So you are in this space where you're selling, a, in, in many ways, a kind of a commodity product, but a commodity product that people don't necessarily feel they need, much less that they want. So, you know, a financial advisor is dealing with the monies and people pay attention to someone who, have, to, who they have entrusted their wealth to. Um, and and that's a very recurrent, you know, relationship as well. You know, it's 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 my 
is my savings, is my 529 for my kids, is my 401k, is et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, you don't really need to cast a very wide net. The insurance guy sells you a car insurance. The likelihood of him selling you also home insurance, low. Uh, but, you know, some of them have a good portfolio. The the guy who sells you life insurance, um, you know, is not going to sell you home insurance. It's a completely different business. So they, they, we, you know, in the insurance industry, really need to cast a far wider net to really have a, a business that, you know, makes sense financially. Um, I think... In, in the context of what I was telling you earlier in terms of the digital side of things, I think the insurance intermediary, because before they were actually knocking on every door and bringing every phone and pushing for the sale and all that, these days that's very different. And that insurance intermediary, broker, agent, however you want to call it, has to operate in a far more smoother way one that has still some sort of connection and, and trust to buy an insurance product, but one that in order to cast that net, they can do it digitally. And it's you know a lot cheaper and more efficient um, and, and more effective in many ways. So, you know, I think the, the nature of the financial advisor guys understanding that difference is important. The fact that they can both work together through digital channels to actually have a better product for customers. It's also a very valuable things to learn between the two of them. Uh, so there's more for uh, cooperation than uh, you know the distinction between the two areas, I think. Yeah. And so how has it changed? I'm, I'm curious about how InsurTech is changing the... Um, the structure of the industry. Of course, mm -hmm. I know that now the searches start online. The product, as you say, is commoditized. What do you see the role of the insurance agent being in the future? Mm -hmm. Is it a guide? You know, I, I see it, you know, it's the same in financial products. So I see it as a financial advisor being the guide and the mm -hmm. human support to the technology. But the technology not going away. How how do you see it? Well, neither of them are going away. Let's, yeah. let's be honest. I mean, the technology in itself is not going to, you know, build trust into a human being to actually buy a product. Um, they may they may make the purchasing process easier, and 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 far you know less complicated. But that's going to happen on the most on the simplest of products, the ones where the customer is just looking for price. Um, and, and, and that's when, that's when the product is being, you know, kind of pulled to the customer. You know, I need car insurance, therefore I go to progressive and I quote my car insurance and I get it there. That's very different than when you actually get a product pushed at you and, uh, you actually get all these offers to buy that, that insurance. Um, if you don't understand the product, the product is more complex. There's no technology that's going to explain you that. So you do need an individual uh, to really guide you through that process. So that's not going to go away either. But that individual needs to learn how to operate with that technology in a way that they truly add value. So the example of that is these days you go to many websites and you have a chatbot. And there's different levels of sophistication for that chatbot to interact with you for some of the insurance products. 
up to the to the point that if the chatbot doesn't resolve your doubts and doesn't take you to actually convert you as a customer, then they can talk to a human being. When that process is really well designed, by the time you talk to the human being, you get the value of that individual talking to you and explaining to you things that the chatbot didn't have the capacity to do. And then, and then the other thing is many of these intermediaries need to learn that there's a number of add-on products that really help your experience in different segments that they don't even have to push at you to sell. You will buy them because you see the value in them. Just to give you an example, these days, travel insurance is very different. Travel insurance used to be a product that sold you, you know, a policy that, that covered you from, oh, I twisted my ankle in Paris because I was on holiday, all the way to, oh, I died in Paris, and they had mm-hmm. to send me back to my country you know, uh, in ashes. Mm-hmm. Um, bless you. Um, so that in itself, you know, has changed because your experience as a traveler, especially post-pandemic, it's a lot more about your health. It's a lot more about your health. It's a lot more about your experience. Um, you know, does my did my airplane um, go delayed? If it got delayed, you know, where are my bags? And it's Am just an add-on to the purchase. It's not... It's add-ons you don't even see. Exactly. So you would have what is called a parametric insurance. My flight is delayed by an hour, I get paid $50. If my flight is delayed more than three hours, I actually get access to a lounge where I'm at. And all of that is an insurance product. Um, The other angle to it is, um, you know, I actually now travel, you travel, we all travel, and everybody's connected to public Wi-Fi's. Now, everybody can get hacked. uh, And that's a reality. Every day, we all know. Yeah, so you know, you you get an add-on that covers for expenses should your identity be stolen while you're actually traveling because you were connected to a, a an unsecure Wi-Fi or you plugged in a USB in the airport to charge your phone and somebody sucked all your data. Mm-hmm. So that's stuff that previously we didn't think about. Number one, number two, the intermediary, the traditional intermediary didn't even asked for because they weren't aware that that existed. They wouldn't work to design those type of products. And number three, they don't even have to sell them. Uh, They're part of the package of the solutions that the channel where you're buying, whether it's Expedia or Kayak or any of those, are providing to you um, to get a better service. So InsurTech anyway seems to be sort of is in, in its toddler years, would you call it? Where yeah, that's a good that's a good analogy. I would say so. Yeah, especially in Latin America and in the US, um, much less in Asia and Europe. Asia and Europe, I'll say it's getting into the teenage years, uh, following up following up much closer to fintech. Uh, mm-hmm. I think in Asia, sorry, in uh, Latin America and the US, like the Americas in general, not not even going into other emerging markets like Africa, etc. It is indeed its toddler years. I agree. So how would you, you know, what what are the companies that are doing it right in Europe and Asia that are taking the, the, the industry forward? And Great question. Um, so Asia, there are companies um, uh, like Zong An and Ping An. There are companies that have or that realize much earlier um, than in other regions. And I'm talking uh, early in the past decade, you know, 2011, 12 that in order to distribute insurance to the masses, 
and really get people protected with more insurance, it needed to be a technology distribution plan. Um, and so they created these very large ecosystems around the adoption of technology that had the insurance embedded within their platform. So for example, um, return shipping for e-commerce companies was created in Asia. Mm-hmm. You buy something you know, at, a, at, at Alibaba or any other platform, you get the product, didn't fit, didn't like it, I don't want it, you ship it back. That's typically paid by an insurance policy. That's not paid by your retailer. And so when you think about the number of transactions that happen in Alibaba or Amazon or whatever, um, and how many of those get returned, you know, you realize, wow, you know, there's 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 a massive, there's a massive business here. Especially if you can embed that insurance into every single transaction, and only the percentage of those that get returned are the ones that the insurance company pays for. So that's just an example that you know, was created in Asia. I think Europe is a market where insurance penetration is far higher than in the Americas. It's probably one of the highest in the world. And so the culture of buying insurance is far more present in the average consumer than in than, than in the Americas, you know, especially for products that are non-traditional, you know, products that cover you for a number of things that are not necessarily your car or your home or um, you know your business, um, etc. So, um, technology plays a fundamental role in the growth of insure tech. Distribution uh, in an embedded basis uh, is is the way that this is growing, and um, you know, and I think we're catching up, but we're catching up in a very healthy way. Yeah, I, you know, I, when you mentioned, you know, the. The companies that are successful in InstruTech are the ones that are embedded into the um, into the e-commerce process. That's interesting to me because that's that's exactly what happened with fintech too. You know, the successful fintechs, sure. the most successful ones are the ones that are embedded into the purchase process or embedded into the commerce process. They're not the ones going directly to the consumer. Um, why do you think that is? You know, in, in a massive scale, it makes sense, but I think it's taking a long time for the consumer to adopt those those products, right? Well, you know, I think I think if if you look at the at the companies that have gone uh, by themselves to do it direct to the consumer, the the premise that the technology needs to be a very key component of their value proposition is still true. So when you think of companies here in the U.S. like Lemonade. Uh, or um, hippo insurance, or any other of those newcomers, or what's called and known as new insurers, um, they have an experience that's second to none, right? You know, you you bought an insurance for your bicycle, your bicycle got broken, you took a picture of your bicycle, you you told what happened to the chatbot, the chatbot analyzes with artificial intelligence, and they paid you right through Zelle, right? And you didn't even talk to anyone or didn't phone anybody. Um, but that has a massive investment, right? Like any direct to consumer product, it's a massive investment for them to really get uh, and convert clients. Whereas the distribution channels that have, you know, already the capture, the captive clientele, um, you know, it's, it's just a question of actually getting the product uh, adopted as opposed to acquiring the customer and getting the product adopted. 
So, but once you have that, the result is phenomenal. The single biggest um, component in Best Buy's um, uh, balance sheet is the insurance program. Oh, wow. um, one of the largest pieces of um, revenue and, and actually um, um, bottom line results for Apple is Apple Care. And Apple Care is an insurance program. Uh, so when when you realize that, and you know, I can count you many others, Verizon, AT and T, all of those that offer you, oh, you want an extended warranty for your phone? You know, it's covered if it actually gets you know water on it and whatever. All that is insurance programs that you don't even think of them as insurance when they offer to you when you're in an AT and T store, uh, but you buy them because it makes sense. Uh, only after the fact you realize this guy actually sold me an insurance policy. Yeah. Uh, so that's the beauty of it. That's why embedded is so powerful. But it's also powerful because of the margins, right? I was hearing the other day how most life insurance policies actually go unclaimed. And that's where the the profits come from, right? Well, historically, and, and, and we have to make that distinction. Uh, and as an insurance guy, I have to defend my industry. But historically, um, there were products, as you say, that is what I used to call, you know, the you know the ghost insurance products. You know, the ones that you had embedded in your credit card or your bank account, but you never really knew. Uh, or they, they they were in the paperwork that was given to you, but you never really cared about it. You cared about the lounge access for the Amex Centurion credit card or that kind of stuff. You never really cared for whether you had travel insurance and what was the coverage for and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yes, in that, in those cases, many people didn't even claim. They just, they either didn't know, they didn't bother to find out, whatever. And that was very profitable. But the reality is that the insurance product went well designed even at a very large channel and even with a lot of information about for the consumer about them having that insurance product, it could still be profitable because that's why the actuarial you know, calculations come into play and all that. So there's no reason why it shouldn't be profitable because people know about it. It's just making sure that the program is well-designed to make it profitable for both channel and the insurance carrier. Um, on the life side, it's it's you know it's a bit of a different story because it's quite more fundamental to you know the product that you that you bought right if you had an embedded travel insurance product you didn't use it it was cents to the dollar that you actually lost but if you actually had a life policy nobody ever bothered to claim i would argue that the best company would be the one that actually makes everything to let the family know that whomever died actually had a life insurance policy right. Right, they don't do that. <laughs> well, so, you know, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure there are those who do, and I'm sure those. I, I don't know. I have to ask my wife when I pass pass away. <laughs> <laughs> so, what what is Insurtech doing right, and what are they doing wrong? Like, where do you see the you know what what has done right, and what has helped the comp the, the the industry evolve, and where where is it lacking? So, I think I think Insurtech. I think this has been a kind of one-two punch if we if we talk in terms of boxing um, and, and excuse the analogy. I think the first punch for InsureTech was saying, guys, the technology use 
for insurance is far more about how do we make it easier for the consumer to get insurance and how do we penetrate you know, the uninsured uh, for their own benefit and ours as an industry. Um, it's a much more about that than the insurance company getting a new system to issue a nicer policy, right? Because in the early days, when people f- spoke about digitizing the insurance company, um, what was wrong conceptually was people thinking, us thinking in the insurance industry, oh, I used to you know, issue my policy on paper. Now it's in a PDF, therefore I'm digital. <laughs> well, no. That's you know? very common, yeah. Like I said, that was only automating the chaos. That was just grabbing the same piece of paper, no difference whatsoever, and we'll put it on the screen. Um, so taking ourselves from there to... I have an app on my phone that really makes it super easy for the customer to understand when a, you know when they want to buy a policy, actually that they are covered when they travel because I can use the roaming on the phone to activate a policy without the customer even having to do so by flicking the phone, you know all that that's what it's, that's what's really about. That has taken time because the investment into those type of technologies doesn't happen overnight. Uh, but I think directionally, we're in the right place doing so. Um, I think what has what has been done wrong is we still do a lot of automating of the chaos uh, in, in, in that process. And we've mostly focused on the sale of insurance. We haven't focused so much on the servicing of the insurance. This part of that I just told you where, oh, I had my camera uh, stole, uh, stolen or or broken and i can actually claim it on a very digital manner i don't have to call any call center and speak with three people and send 44 pieces of paper that part is the one that's truly going to make everybody go oh my god this was so good you know i'm actually going to buy this policy again because it was so simple it really worked that's when the magic really happens and that's where i think we need to go next to make it like really, really uh, special for the consumer. Great. Yeah, I think that the making it easier to get insurance is sort of an educational process that mm-hmm. you guys went through. And that's very, very interesting that sure. it really went out to the mass market. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And lastly, I know that in we're both both based in Miami. And I wanted to touch on that because it's it's a city that has gained traction for the U.S. for the first time, I think. You know, it's mm-hmm. always been attractive to Latin Americans, but for the, for the first time we've seen the U.S. pay attention, you know, the rest of the states actually pay attention to Miami and, and you know, be attracted by it. Mm-hmm. And it's becoming this hub and this, you know, um, it's it's a buzzword right now. <laughs> Where do you see it going, and you know how would you recommend to take advantage of it? Yeah, I think I think a lot of the Miami buzz has been uh, a long time in the making. You know, like Steve Jobs used to say, "All sudden successes take a long time." Um, so it's been a long time in the making. I think the the fact that we were thought of as the capital of Latin America for a long time has given us the maturity to then then say, oh, actually, we now can be one of the main cities in the U.S. because of all that experience we've had with Latin America. 
Um, I think Mayor Suarez has done a big push in putting us in the map and, you know, trying to get um, Miami as a, as a valid hub um, for, for, for technology and, and, and business development. Um, I do think that now that we've got a lot of people moving in from New York and Silicon Valley and et cetera, et cetera, we need to go through a proper maturity process that really gets us on the level of cities like Austin, Texas, um, that are on their way to solidifying themselves as a hub, but they're not quite there yet, you know, like New York or Silicon Valley is. And we, what we should do is not to think that we're there sooner than we really are. Yeah. Because that, that could really end up being a bit of a expectation, a wrong expectation management um, for the people that I've entrusted and moved here. I think there's still a large educational hub development requirement beyond what we already have here. I mean, we have UM and we have FIU and all that, but they're they're not competing organizations, educationally speaking, to the you know big, you know, Ivy League top of, 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 of universities in the other cities. But it's a great starting point and it's a great stepping stone for us to build. So I think what needs to happen is let's take it easy. Let's make the most of it little by little. It's a journey. It's not going to be a sprint. Um, and let's make sure that we deliver on those promises one by one, as opposed to think that, you know, we've already earned it. Um, and that's what's really going to give us a good, solid path in the next seven, eight years. And by 2030, then really say, you know what, this, this is a city that now has all the key components for uh, claiming its place in the map, as opposed to having the potential, which is what we've got now, yeah. to really claim and attract people to come over, right? Yeah. Uh, it's, a bit, it's a bit like, you know, dating versus marriage. You know, you, you date for the potential and all that, but then you, you only get to make the decision to get married if you're actually seeing all the things happening and therefore you take the step forward. That's a good analogy. And so what, what's next for you? Um, you're with Box Insurance and you're also involved with other organizations that help InsurTech startups. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about what's, what's next. Well, I'm 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 boxes today, and it's what's next. So I'm pretty excited to be to be with Box. You know, it's it's a Canadian um, insurance business. Uh, we focus only on cyber. I think cyber is one of the most exciting risks out there to help people get protected um, and 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 well covered. Uh, it affects you know the richest of the richest and the poorest of the poor the smallest of the businesses and the biggest of corporations. So the market is huge. Uh, so I'm pretty excited to be involved in, in getting it up and running here in the U.S. and, and getting it growing. Um, I think I think no leader in an tech era should really be satisfied if they're not fostering the ecosystem for insurance to really go fully digital. Um, so that's why I'm involved in other things uh, as an advisor or board member. Um, an example of that is the LATAM InsureTech Accelerator. Uh, we're getting that going. Uh, it's the first pan-regional accelerator for InsureTech uh, ever. And we're using Miami as a hub for that. Uh, it's fully independent. 
it's it's not tied to any single insurance company or or, or insurance related organization. Um, and it's casting a network whereby not only is Latin America, we're 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 partner, we have partnered with an organization here in the US called Broker Tech Ventures that it's in Des Moines, Iowa, has done three different cohorts of this. Uh, uh, that's part of also the Israeli Shurtech Accelerator. So we are connected to Israel, which is you know the mecca of entrepreneurship. So it's casting that network and getting it really powerful uh, for us to operate within. At the same time, getting Latin America in the map uh, and, and getting our insured community and ecosystem growing there. So, yeah, I'm very excited for being in all those all those areas. Yeah, well, fintech uh, Latin American companies, fintech Latin American companies got a record record funding in the mm-hmm. last few years. I'm sure InsurTech is not far behind. Yeah, yeah, that's true, and uh, we're looking forward for that to happen to us as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Ilaria, it was amazing talking to you and learning about you and InsurTech. Thank you so much for being here. A pleasure for your invite, Alejandro. Thank you so much.